through prayer father in heaven we are here to worship you and to fellowship with you and with one another you gave manna in the wilderness long ago and you still provide for those who hunger and thirst today may the songs we sing and the words we say and what we think and feel be acceptable and pleasing to you Please forgive us when we use words that are harmful. Please forgive us when our actions do not live up to the words of faith that we say. Thank you for forgiveness so great and for your Holy Spirit within that teaches us to become people of integrity. Thank you, Father, for blessing us in so many ways. We know that you will shower us with a blessing during this hour today. We know that we will leave this place with a desire to share your good news with others in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We pray for many things. We pray for things that we need. We pray giving thanks for blessings received. Sometimes we pray in worship 
with words that show our love for God and His Son. Sometimes we simply just have a talk with God, our Father in heaven, just because it feels good to talk with Him. If you think about it, we can categorize what we pray for into three broad categories. The first category that people pray for is well-being. Well-being is the state of being comfortable, healthy, happy, and these are good things. And I believe God is pleased when we share our comfort and joy with others. The second broad category that people often pray for is financial freedom, a.k.a. wealth. But God is not so quick to bless us with wealth. God knows that wealth can be seductive. He knows that the love of money is the root of evil. I believe that God wants us to have financial freedom, but there is doubt in my mind that God will say yes to you for your request for financial freedom just because you prayed for that. And then there is a third category that far outweighs the first two categories. Uh, now I've got your attention. And from my experience, listening to people pray, the third category is not prayed for very often. But for God, the third category of what we pray for should be at the top of the list. The third category that we should pray for is wisdom. Do you realize that everything you do will result in either well-being, wealth, wisdom, or the lack thereof. So your question should be, is wisdom as attractive to me as well-being and wealth? In 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon is described in the following positive terms. Verse 3, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given to him by his father, David. Then we read in verse 5, One night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. In response, Solomon answered, in verse 9, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who was able to govern this, your great people? And the passage continues. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God is pleased to give wisdom to those who truly seek wisdom. There are a lot of verses that say this. I believe that one of the problems with contemporary Christianity is that many believers do not understand that wisdom is not something that we do. Rather, wisdom should be something that we are. When you pray and ask God for help to help you to be a better Christian, you should not immediately run toward answers that focus primarily 
on morality and behavior. The truth is that wisdom does not focus on bad habits and unhealthy relationships. Why is that? That's because the way we think is what determines our behavior. Behavior is the result of wisdom. Wisdom is thinking and deciding and planning in a Christian manner. It matters how you think, how you receive information, how you translate the information that you've received, and how you learn from past experiences. When we finally understand the importance of wisdom, we move from the tentative state of doing Christianity to the permanent state of living a Christian life. We represent Jesus, and therefore, we represent his Father in heaven. As ambassadors of Jesus, we speak for him in our culture, in our world. This means that we must passionately pursue and prioritize wisdom, just like Jesus did. Wisdom is a big topic in Scripture. It really is. There is a group of books that deal exclusively with wisdom in the Bible. The Psalms teach us how to deal with sorrow and abandonment, loss, forgiveness. Ecclesiastes and Proverbs give us slices of truth about dealing with physical living. The book of Job teaches us how to carry on when life unexpectedly deals us a hard blow and then gives us permission to be human and holy. The Song of Solomon invites us to enjoy the harmony that we can only find from life's most powerful emotion, which is love. God knows that life is not easy for most of us. God knows that we all face difficult times. We make plans and then life gets in the way. It makes no sense to create even more problems for yourself. But that's what you do when you live life without wisdom. If you are honest with yourself, many of the most challenging times in your life were the direct result of your own poor judgment. That's how it is with me. Wisdom is the key to a life that is salt and light. A life that directs a godly flavor toward others and shines all the light of your faith will not happen independent of wisdom. Wisdom empowers people to greatness. Wisdom allows you to rest when you become too tired to move forward adequately, even though many people are demanding even more from you. Wisdom teaches you how to manage life, how to juggle family, work, school, and love all at the same time. And wisdom helps you to prioritize your never-ending to-do list. Wisdom causes you to postpone important items on your to-do list. And then what happens once you've postponed that item? 
Many times we've experienced that. Circumstances develop that cause the formerly important item to just fall out of the bottom of the list. The item gets OBE'd, overcome by events. Thank you, wisdom. Who was the wisest man to ever walk the earth? No, it wasn't Solomon. It was Jesus. Jesus wasn't only spiritual and moral, he was really smart. And wisdom was interwoven throughout the character that he, that, throughout his character. His character was the character of, of his father. He even said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, John chapter 14, verse 9. Obviously then, when we see Jesus, we learn how his Father thinks and responds and reacts and how he desires us to think, respond, and react to life's changing situations. Godly living is more than moral excellence. Godly living also includes wise decision-making. Godliness is more than living right. Godliness is more than morality. Godliness includes living wisely. We read in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that Jesus grew, as Jesus grew up, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The order listed in this verse tells us something. Jesus first grew in wisdom and stature. He developed wisdom. And that in turn brought favor from God and man. What is God's favor? Hmm. It's when God prefers you. Why? Just for being you. It's when you're selected for an opportunity out of a crowd when others could have been selected as well. Favor is a fragile thing and must be handled by a heart of wisdom. A fool mishandles favor. A wise person maintains favor. If you've ever been in meetings in the corporate world, you know what I'm talking about. Jesus was the wisest person, and he admonished, uh, admonished us to be people of wisdom. He said, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talked about building two houses. The foolish man built his house on sand. The wise man built his house on rock. In these images, Jesus wasn't talking about the building materials used in houses. He wasn't even talking about houses. He used houses as metaphors. The houses represent our lives. And Jesus was concerned about whether those who were listening to him would take the next step and put his words into practice to build godly lives. Here's something that any student will verify. Showing up in class doesn't make you a smart student. 
Also, taking good notes doesn't make you a good student. A good student is the one who listens to the teacher, translates the information into an application, and then makes the application happen. Hearing without doing does not make you wise. Wisdom is more than hearing. Wisdom is hearing and then applying what you hear. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is a wise man. During his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse 24. The first step is listening to Jesus. Now, in order to be able to listen to Jesus, you have to put yourself in a position to hear Jesus. Do you remember the story when Jesus stayed at the home of Mary and Martha? In Luke chapter 10, Martha was really busy with preparations. She wanted, to, she wanted everything to be just right. Her sister Mary, however, sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to him teach. And Martha then became upset at Mary because as she saw the situation, Mary wasn't doing her fair share of the work. But Jesus gently let Martha know that she was wrong. In fact, it would have been better, according to Jesus, if Martha had sat next to Mary, listening to him teach. Sometimes wisdom is caught. Often, wisdom is taught. If you want wisdom, you need to give God your attention. Martha was busy taking care of preparations that Jesus was likely not very concerned about. We don't want to be like Martha, too busy with material things that are temporary, but then miss out on the spiritual things that will last. Busyness can be a sneaky method used by the enemy to get us to focus, on, uh, to focus our energy on those things in life that are not spiritual. In your life, there are ample opportunities for you to receive wisdom. There are plenty of opportunities to study God's word and to develop godly wisdom. But if you get too busy, like Martha, then you can miss out on the blessings that God has for you. Jesus said that a wise person listens to what he says. Jesus never said that a wise person listens to best-selling authors who talk about the power of positive thinking. Jesus never said that a wise man focuses on the words that come from a psychologist. No, the wise man concentrates on what God says and prioritizes God's word over the discordant mixture of human opinion. It's important to listen to the words of Jesus and his Father. It's important not to allow our own thoughts and foolish actions elevate above God's voice. Isn't it true that there have been many times when it was your own thoughts and opinions that got you into trouble. 
It wasn't what somebody else did or said that got you into trouble. It was what you said or what you did. We get into trouble when we don't listen to God's advice. Whether his advice comes from his word, from the Holy Spirit gently whispering in, in your mind, or whether the advice comes from a godly friend. Disregarding God's advice is not wisdom. God has another name for a word for when we disregard his advice. He called it arrogance. Wisdom and arrogance cannot coexist. Indeed, Scripture teaches us not to be wise in our own eyes. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7. Arrogance inhibits wisdom. Wisdom dispels arrogance. Our desire should be to make decisions to make wise decisions like Jesus would do. Jesus was smarter than we are. We should realize that. We should realize that we need to act the way Jesus or think the way Jesus would think. I always find this one interesting this verse, as Jesus responded when speaking about the second coming of the Son of Man, he said, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus did not, be, did not pretend to be as smart as his Father. He did not pretend to know more than his father had revealed to him. We should be that way too. We are way out of line when we assume to know more than what the father has revealed to us. This is one of the problems I have with so many religious org organizations that make or they get angry with each other when they come to decisions that we are not going to know the answer to until we meet our maker. They become so arrogant with their theological beliefs. I just don't understand it. I look at them and I think, what right do you have to be so arrogant? When we embrace wisdom, we discard arrogance. As followers of Jesus, as we spiritually mature, we realize how insignificant our knowledge actually is. We realize the importance of seeking God's particular will for our lives. And then what do we do? Aha, uh -huh. Pastor James tells us something, tells us exactly what to do. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find dis 
disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. The question becomes, what kind of people are we? Are we pure, peaceful, loving, considerate, full of mercy and sincere? Or do we live in a manner just the opposite? Are we bitter, full of selfish ambition, greed, and envy? If wisdom is honest and pure, then we must be honest enough to examine our shortcomings. Indeed, we are charged by Pastor James as well. James chapter 1, verse 22. To not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Don't let the act of listening fool you. Listening can give you a good feeling, but listening by itself is not enough, as so many students have figured out in the universities. Listening without doing doesn't get anything done. It doesn't change anything about you or the way you live. Listening without acting on what God teaches you changes nothing. So let me summarize. First, a wise person does not rely upon godless counsel. The wise person does not walk in step with sin or live life in a manner that leaves out God because of busyness that, leaves, that leads to distraction. Wise people listen and rely upon the words of Jesus and all the words given to us in the scriptures. And the wise person follows up God's words with action. Jesus described a wise person's life as a house built on a foundation, sure and secure. All aspects of your life need to be secured on that rock. That rock is Jesus and his unchanging truth. And then when the storms of life hit you, and they will, your life will not sink. Being wise does not exempt us from life-altering events, but being wise will keep your life from sinking. Every one of us will experience heartbreak, sickness, major setbacks, the death of a loved one, but the foundation that wisdom secures within you will change the way those events affect you. If your foundation is built upon the values of the culture around you, then stability will not be yours. It will not be your way. Rather, you, your way will change just like the weather. Your convictions will not hold. And when trouble comes, depending upon how you feel that day, you may sink. Or you might swim, but you won't know until the time comes. It becomes a flip of the coin. That's how it is for a life built on sinking sand. When life does not have a solid foundation, it flounders. But for a life built upon the rock, 
Messiah Jesus, you will always remain intact, regardless of how strong the storms of life become. You will not sink. Your relationship with Jesus will stand. Your life will stand because you have built upon the rock. Jesus is the rock. Amen? Hallelujah.